Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving Iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Mark with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire would like to give the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast a free digital tire pressure gauge and a Firestone t-shirt. So if you're looking for something to check your tire pressure and keep, you, uh, keep your shirt on at the beach... Go to marketingandaxontire.com, and they will send you one. Just give them your details, tell them Moving Iron Podcast sent you, and they'll send that over to you. So just go to marketingandaxontire.com for that free tire pressure gauge and Firestone T-shirt. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter no matter how it's like some foreign language there for a second, Sean. No matter how you buy uh, Celtic, you know, could be Celtic because you're in <laughs> Ireland, right? So, <laughs> no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at AgDirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at AgDirect.com. Sean is with Hackett Financial from Boca Raton, Florida, and he's kind enough to come on from. Uh, a couple times a week to talk about what's going on. And this week, he is in sunny, warm, tropical Ireland right now. So, Sean, how you doing, bud? Yeah, from from Northern Ireland in Belfast, I'm um, I'm only the ducks are uh, are happy right now. So. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this time of the year. I think we're in the same latitude latitudinal uh, degree here with Nebraska. So it's uh, a lot of the. Uh, uh, same weather. We don't have the humidity that you're going with that the dampness that you have there, the the humidity in the air that that keeps it extra cold. But uh, so far, what's uh, what's your take on on Ireland so far? Uh, it's a beautiful island. Uh, the people are really super nice. Um, I've never seen so many bars per square awesome. foot in my entire life. And um, yeah, yeah, that's the only place. That's that's one of those places I want to go, man. Just just for that. Take myself a pint. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful country, but you know, for 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 me, you know, I, I you know, I just a little little raw uh, and cold <laughs> and clammy for me, uh, but uh, but not a bad place to visit. So you're, so you're saying it's not the warm 
tropical humidity that you that you're used to in Florida is what you're saying. Vitamin D production here is in great deficit. So. <laughs> right on. All right, Sean, plenty of stuff going on in the markets. Take a look what's going around. We had some stuff hit yesterday that uh, it looks like this profit-taking might have taken over um, a little bit further into um, what we saw in the last week, carried over and into Monday's uh, markets. We saw a few um, a few things um, that ended um, down for the day. Nothing crazy. You know, there wasn't any big ones. Soybeans, I mean, it seems like soybeans has a huge swing no matter what they're doing. Either they're all the way up or all the way down, and there's nothing really in between. But when you look at things like like oil, for example, oil uh, yesterday closed down. Uh, West Texas closed down four bucks. Brent crude was down four dollars and forty four cents. Um, a lot of volatility in the oil market right now. W- with that thought process, when you look at oil, what do you, what do you what do you think that driving factor is right now? That's that's that showing that huge interday volatility that we're talking about. Well, I mean, Russia's Russia, nothing's changed, right. and everyone's worried about that supply, not a supply, what's going to happen with all that, um, and, and that's, you I know, mean, that's what got the market really rocking and rolling, to, you know, really got that spike trade going, um, but then, you know, the Biden administration said they're going to release a bunch of oil, which they've been doing, but everyone re- realizes that's not a really real material reason to be bearish crude oil other than very, very short term, right? Because mm-hmm. the more you deplete the supp- the inventories, you still have to somehow find enough production when you're done selling, right? The biggest issue I see, Casey, is that China keeps locking down their country uh, because of this zero tolerance policy. In fact, I saw this graphic yesterday that says um, of an analysis of China's top 100 cities by GDP finds that all but 13 of them have imposed some form of extreme quarantine restrictions, and that intensity is increasing day by day. Um, so that's not good for demand if it continues. It's not good for demand. Obviously, if they're, if, I mean, Shanghai, for example, everyone's locked in to their either building, office building, or in their home, and they're not allowed out. And they're, and they're, they're, they're ordering things in the morning, and it's a ration. You're allowed a certain amount of food you can order, and then they apparently give it to you later in the day. I mean, that's what's going on right now. And that, you know, is concerning on the demand side if it were to continue. Just think what happened when we did the same thing here. We locked the whole country down, how devastating it was. Well, they're, they're now actually going through that uh, because of their zero tolerance policy and because um, it appears that they've been so averse, so, uh, they had such an aversion of using um, or, or allowing people to get exposed, uh, that now they're all getting exposed, and and the rest of the world's all gotten sort of this herd immunity built in. It, it seems like they're they're like a year behind where everybody else is because they they prevented everyone from being exposed to these viruses when they were coming along. So it's it's a mess. I don't know how long it's going to last, but for I think crude oil specifically, you know, if no one's driving. If no one is operating, if, if if production plants are at half throttle, that can't be good for energy demand. That's all I have to. I just have to assume that's what's going on in crude oil on a day to day basis. Is how long is this going to go on? Yeah. So all right, so let's jump over and look at uh, crop planting progress reports as to what we've got going on there. And right now we're very early in in the season. Obviously, it's not like it's very far into that. 
Uh, most most places won't actually start planting it until uh, about you know the April fifteenth time frame on into uh, the first part of May out here. You know we start planting corn the first of May. Sugar beets go in the ground about the fifteenth of of uh, of April, so we'll see what happens there. But right now, if you're looking at a crop progress report, it looks like Texas is about 54% done. Kansas has got 2% in the ground. Kentucky's got 1%, and North Carolina's got 3%. The rest of the of the states haven't registered yet. Um, and then you jump over and look at soybeans, and not a lot of soybeans. Soybeans haven't planted anywhere yet. Cotton acres, uh, jump down and take a look at that. We look about 4% of cotton's been planted, um, and the average right now is like 6%, so I mean, whatever. I guess as you're looking at that stuff right now, you've talked about this when you're looking at going into this season where you're going to see some some weather delays because of, of uh, switching from La Nina to El Nino and you've got more moisture uh, capability in the air in that, that late season, or I'm sorry, late spring uh, rains going into early summer during that key planting cycle. Um, what do you think the reaction how long will the reaction have to be before the market really takes a hard look at at what's going on as far as planning progress goes? Remember, there's where it, there's the time frame that we would like to get the corn crop planted, for example, mm -hmm. and then there's where we need to get the corn crop planted, as you said. Right. We would, we would love to turn wheels in the first week of April and really rock and roll in the second week of April and get ahead of start and get crop in the ground early, especially for corn. We would love to be able to do that. Um, in many years, we are able to do that. We were able to do that, you know, last year, and um, that's definitely not going to be happening this year. It's weather is too cold, um, too much moisture in the center, the center east rain belt, and now we're looking at getting a major late winter storm in the northern plains, where they're looking at uh, 12 to 15, 14, 12 to 16 inches of snow, um, and, and once again, continued cold weather through the end of the month. Um, and that's just going to keep, it's going to put, it, that's taking the, we're going to have an early start to the plant season off the table. That doesn't mean you hit the panic button yet, but the question you're, the question you're asking is when would the market really start to worry? I think if we got to the third week of April and it looks like we're not really going to be turning a wheel in the mid-May, the market's going to start to get really nervous, especially as worried as they are about corn right now. You know, just everything is just micromanaging everything. I don't think they would. I don't think if the, if the planting season is delayed into, let's say, you know, mid, you know, the, the, the lion's share of it is delayed into mid-May. I do not think that the corn market will take kindly to that. I think they would react. And I think the weather forecast in, let's say, the end of the third quarter of April would give the market the signal that, you know, we're now not even looking at a late normal beginning. We're just looking at a late start. And yeah. the market will then begin to dial down what those yield expectations could be. Now, of course, what's bad for corn is good for soybeans. We would be thinking about even more soybean acres than, um, yeah. So anyway, I would say that in terms of things like spring wheat, that's planted in Northern Plains or corn, I really think that the, you know, Give it a two more weeks, Casey, and, and it looks, still looks as dire as it does now, which we believe it will. The market's going to have to start to react to that. And that's why we continue to feel, especially for the corn market, you know, we've been talking about this potential for a blow off top in, you know, late spring, early summer. And it looks to me like we're set up for it. We continue to see, even down in the second crop corn in Brazil, that had good moisture leading into the planting uh, season. 
got the crop planted in good shape, has a, had a good start. You know, we're now looking at a, a pattern that's starting to get pretty dry in pollination. The core pollination is right now into the first half of May. Um, and so, you know, I think once again, it's, it doesn't look like it's going to be super hot like it was last year, but just to have drier than normal weather during pollination means you're probably going to take the top end potential off of this, the second crop corn in Brazil and the market's banking on that being you know, saving the day. And if it just comes off a little, mm-hmm. the corn market has no wiggle room right now. I mean, if we look, if you, if you, if you believe in the acreage number that the USDA came out and said, that's going to be the number I'm not saying that is or it isn't, but if you do, there's just no room for anything but perfection right now. And so I still feel as high as corn prices are that we still have, you know, potentially one more reaction to the upside to factor all this stuff. Because if you really think about it, Casey, mid late May, we're going to know what's happened with, with second crop corn in Brazil. We're going to have a really good idea of exactly what the nature of the planting season is going to be. We're going to know, have a pretty good idea of whether Russia is getting the corn crop planted or not. So the market runs up on worry, on fear of the unknown. And whatever the answer is to those three things I just mentioned, whatever that, whatever it is, you're going to get clarity. You're going to know, well, the Russian planted half the corn crop. We're going to, you know, you're going to have, you're going to get answers to your questions. It's hard to get emotionally excited about a market when you put facts to the case. Buy the rumor, sell the news is what that's based upon. So I, I feel we can run these markets up or this corn market up into that mid-May, late-May timeframe. And then as we factually start to get answers to these things, it'll be pretty hard to hold the market higher from that point going forward. So I, I'm kind of thinking we're in this final phase higher uh, for quarterly. So it looks like to me, like, you know, we already had it on Russia. Soybeans already had it on Brazilian drought. Now corn's going to get it on chaotic planting season. So When corn takes off, I mean, you already seen some, some high numbers out there anyway. So, I mean, Obviously, corn is going to start dragging things up to the top, lie right along with it. So, I mean, are you talking like when corn shoots up, that soybeans and everything else is going to fall right along with it? Well, I mean, I think they'll follow. Mm-hmm. I don't think soybeans will make new highs from what they the high they made during. If there was a spike trade they made on the Brazilian drought peak. I don't believe soybeans will take that out. Um, you know, we had that spike trade on winter wheat. Um, 13 change, whatever it was exactly. Um, I don't believe we'll take that out. Um, I believe we'll drag those markets higher. And I think that, you know, like, they, like you know, but I, I don't think that, I think those, I, I'm kind of in the idea that we have these rolling blow off tops and grains where we said we had soybeans then wheat and now corn's going to finish the job. Now, when wheat made a blow off top, corn didn't make a blow off top. It was, it was being dragged along with the wheat. Now corn's going to be the leader. So I think, Corn's the one I'm anticipating making, you know, really taking new ground here to the upside. The other markets, more of a, you know, working your way back, a retest of the highs, some kind of a failed mm-hmm. secondary high kind of a thing. That's that's what we're envisioning right now, looking at everything we see right now. Okay. So, right on. All right. All right. So, you take a look at this blizzard that's coming through North and South Dakota, um, mostly North Dakota, but. It's it's right right. I mean, we're, there's a lot of calving going on right now, and those kind of things. So I guess as you take a look at that, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have in the overall cattle market? It's going to be pretty significant. You know, we're getting this cold. You know, it's not just the cold, but it's when it's snowy mm-hmm. and wet, and 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 it's just the worst time 
to have this kind of a late season storm. And it's really going to impact, uh, you know, the production potential of calving uh, in the cattle market significantly. And it's going to further reduce the animal feeding units for cattle as we get later in the year when, uh, you know, when, when the animals are going to be extremely, extremely tight. It looks to me like this final move higher up in corn and this, uh, this, uh, this fear over the economy, Casey, on these backing up of interest rates is and, and this lingering Western, uh, you know, Western U.S. drought, which is, is the final, is, is causing the reason for this final herd liquidation event. We've been herd liquidating cattle since 2019. Mm-hmm. This is not like, this just began yesterday. Right. But there's, there's usually the final puke of the final animals that can go. I mean, not can liquidate the herd to zero. At some point you say, you know, we've liquidated everything we can. I think this is the last phase of it and we've been seeing some pressure in cattle because of it but once this phase is, is over and we think it'll be more largely over by late spring i mean i don't we think <laughs> we think that the uh, availability of animals uh, going forward from that after that's over is it's going to be really really sparse and uh as as bearish as it's been for the cattle market in, in the last month it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a springboard later in the year. And so, you know, keep an eye on the cattle market later in the year. It could do what hogs just did, you know, a month and a half ago when it went straight up um, after a period of, um, of, uh, of quiet. So, um, you know, definitely believe that this late season winter storm, something we talked about too, yeah. is going to actually increase the bullish outcome later in the season, although it's going to cause some pressure right now. Gotcha. So, all right. There's been plenty of talk right now. If you take a look at the news, and uh, ex- especially since uh, since the Fed announced that they were going to start raising rates, there's been lots of talk about uh, recession and those kind of things to started popping up in into mix. So if you take a look at energy costs are high, food costs are high, we have inflation, um, all the contributing factors to a, to a, to a recession are are, are there, right? Um, what are your thoughts on on how you know going through the rest of twenty two and twenty three economically? Do you do you see a recession coming our way, or do you think this is something that when manufacturing bounces back and inflation slowly starts to ease, that there's some some of this tension is relieved? Looking at how much interest rates have backed up, forget what the Federal Reserve is doing. The Federal Reserve is always behind the curve anyway; they're just following the market. Right. The Treasury markets interest rates have gone through the roof. And the one thing I think that's kept the economy going, at least here, is the fact that we created trillions upon trillions upon trillions of home value. Um, I think the numbers state that 65% of Americans in some shape, way, or form own equity in a home or a real estate home. And so, you know, if you've added trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars in your home value, um, I think that has allowed uh, purchases or buying or confidence to be lo- to last longer because of this perceived wealth that's in everyone's homes. Not to mention, prior to this year, before this year, you know, the stock market had been going straight up, um, and so everyone's four hundred one ks, you know, that own stocks. You know, they, you know they, the tech stocks are going. Now, of course, it's been a, not a good year for stocks this year. It's been actually right. pretty bad. It's been way, yeah, but. It's been off. Um, but, but, but so, so I think what's going to happen is now we get, we've, we've chopped a lot of stock value away 
And that's starting to hurt the consumer confidence, starting to see the numbers really fall off. And now we're starting to see um, the mortgage buyer. There's different buyers in real estate. You have those who are actually buying a home with a mortgage. And then you have the investor that's buying a home on speculation with borrowed money. And then you have the investor who's buying homes for cash. We have all kinds of different buyers. But the mortgage buyer, the biggest buyer in the market that says, I'm going to go buy a home. I'm going to take a, a mortgage. I'm going to you know, pay this price because I have confidence in the future. That demand is falling way off over the last month and a half. I mean, like substantially off. So we're losing the mortgage buyer. He's backing away. He's balking at paying current prices and he's looking at his interest rate. He's looking at what his monthly payments are going to be from what they were going to be uh, and what the cost of homes are. And he's saying, you know, I'm just, I'm not, and, and I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm really worried about my job or whatever. So, so you start seeing the price of homes start to roll over as we're starting to see in certain regions now, you know, that we're starting to see the early signs of it. And people start seeing that their equity and their homes are falling while their stock equity is falling. They're going to put the brakes on really, really fast on some of the spending that they've been doing. And I think that that leads to um, a pretty hard landing. And if the Fed is intent on, they're talking about raising rates by 50 basis points here at the next meeting, and they're going to, you know, just do everything they can to just, you know, gun these interest rates higher on the short end. Hard for me not to see, let's put it to me, the best case scenario would be an incredibly strong slowdown uh, from what we've been. And so, yeah, I think you have to anticipate in anything that you're looking at, whether it's in the corn demand, whether it's in the oil demand, whether it's in farm equipment demand, you have to be thinking about what's my demand going to look like six to nine months from now if we're talking about being in or almost in a recession here in the U.S., not to mention what's going on globally. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful. This is not a time to be, you know, thinking, uh, you know, it's party time, good times ahead. It's been a lot of alcohol that's been being drunk. It's been a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. But um, but when you when you, when you when you come off the uh, the party high, there can be some very severe hangovers, and I think that's set up for later this year. Yep. So. I've talked about that a lot on my on this podcast uh, that I do uh, with Aaron Finnell. I mean, the the premium that we see out there, same deal. I mean, it's just run up in prices, all all stemming from you know the availability issues, those different things. We see all these driving factors behind there, and then when all that stuff's gone, there's going to be a, a large premium that gets that gets chopped off the top pretty quick, and it's going to look like the market crash, but it just went back to where it should have been to start with the normal marketplace, and I think. I think that's kind of what you're talking about a little bit. Well, it's interesting because you, you know, the big uh, revulsion over these rent increases. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I get it. You know, you go up what twenty or thirty percent in a year is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. That's from the pandemic low, right? right. I mean, what we you have to remember, rents crashed, um, and, and and so if you actually look, normalize the rents from. In 2019, before the virus hit, and you just use that three to four percent increase, which has been pretty much what rents have increased over the longer term. So you know, um, we're pretty much right on the trend line. Right. Meaning, meaning we 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 crashed, and then we're surging. So it looks it, but when you actually do the trend line, we're actually right where we should be. It's just that we never should have had the fall, as you said, and then the, right. so a lot of there's a lot of distortion going on, and same thing with the inflation numbers. Don't get me wrong. I get it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, I mean, I'm, I see prices going up, but, but remember, 
you know, we had, the, we had everything crash. So when, when you're coming off of this crash and everything, all these prices fell and then they come off the lows, it looks unbelievable because you came off from this low point. But when you really normalize it, don't get me wrong, it's elevated. I'm not saying it's not elevated. It is elevated. But it's not elevated to the extent that the sensationalism out there and many of the reporting is trying to indicate that if you just if we just maintain what we've been doing, these inflation numbers are going to drop in half over the next year just because we're going to be comparing more apples to apples right. than apples to you know pears like we right. were doing at the at the trough of the so so you got to be very careful about statistics where your starting point is versus where your ending point is. You can make numbers do a whole lot of things, but it's really the longer term trend lines that you have to be looking at. And so I think a lot of some of the excessive excitement in some markets over inflation, which arguably justified to some extent, it's been, it's been a little bit overblown in my opinion, yeah. overblown. Yeah. yeah, there's a correction coming and there always is, right? So just be ready for it and pay attention to those trend lines that you see. Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. All kinds of information on there to show everyone what we do to see if we could be of value. Right on, man. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to movingironllc.com. For everything Moving Iron related, you can find all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, September 6th, 7th, and 8th at the Hilton downtown. Uh, Sean's going to be there to give a, a talk about what's going on from the transition between La Nina to El Nino and some other factors that are playing in there, so that'll be a good speech as usual. So, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thanks, you, uh, Casey. Really uh, look forward to it. and. Uh Hopefully we can find a good connection here on Thursday. I so. hope so. All right. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go to Smart folks. Out. Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving out